Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. Welcome to Part 2 of my exclusive interview with Marcus Ranham, CSO of Tenable Network Security. In this part, we talk about specific threats to banking institutions, healthcare organizations, and government agencies. Let's return now to my conversation with Marcus Ranham. Now, on another topic entirely, one of the biggest stories this year in financial services has been the ACH fraud and the legal issues that have come up because of it. We've got businesses and banks that have squared off over the question of quote-unquote reasonable security. In your opinion, who's got the greater responsibility here? Is it the business or the bank? Uh, this is a huge problem, and this is this is something that, you know, I, I, I first started talking about how this was going to play itself out as soon as people started talking about electronic commerce the the the, the issue really is that the endpoints that people are using just simply aren't aren't good enough um, you know it's 2010 and we still have operating systems that that get infected with malware and keystroke loggers and stuff like that and as long as you've got endpoints that are so easily compromised, then you're going to have this problem. It doesn't really matter whose fault it is. You're going to have this problem because the the endpoint has to be a reliable terminal, and it's not. Um, so, you know, my, my guess at what's going to happen with this is that the, the, the banks and the merchants are going to argue back and forth, and in the cases where the banks are able to use their superior financial leverage, They'll get a, you know, the merchants will just get an updated terms of service. Here you go. And by the way, if you have a problem keeping your, keeping your password secure, then <laughs> too bad. Um, and, you know, and in situations where the merchants are able to 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 drive enough business, then they'll be a, they'll be able to put some controls in there. And and of course, the the obvious answer to all of this stuff has always been to use some kind of two-factor two authentication, and it's been offered over and over again on the commercial side and on the, on the, the prosumer side with things like the, the um, pin pad cards that were available for eBay and, and for some of the online stock trading companies. And, you know, the, the, the consumers just haven't taken it up because, oh, gosh, it's oh so inconvenient. Well, you know, I think what's going to wind up happening is that people are going to realize that waking up one morning and finding that their bank balance is $200,000, $300,000 smaller is, is oh so much more inconvenient. Um, you know, and that, that balance is going, to, is going to start to swing back a little bit the other way. I was involved in a, a case last year where I talked to a gentleman who um, his stock account was accessed as part of a pump and dump scheme and um, as it all turned out he had gone with the low cost provider because he didn't like the trading costs of the larger providers that uh, indemnified the user against that kind of thing basically you know he he, he cost himself a couple hundred thousand dollars in order to save 995 yeah unfortunately it happened more often than we can even keep track of it's a it's a huge problem, and you know I, I think what happens with these kinds of things is that once they become uh, a big enough drag on the economy, then they become something that people are aware of, and then and then people will be a little bit you know cooler about it. It's kind of funny because people of my parents' generation, not that I'm calling my parents dummies or anything like that, they're very smart people, but you know they didn't grow up in a regime where you had to have passwords and you had to control them. 
um, try getting try getting a kid's password for their World of Warcraft account out of them. They they they're growing up with a strong understanding of control and access control. Um, simply, you know, because it's the environment that they're that they're growing up in. So it's it's possible that some of this is going to be a generational issue that's going to make itself better. But in order to you know in order to go in the right direction, we're going to have to. Um, we're going to have to do something about the endpoint security. You know, my, my guess there is that, you know, eventually you'll get some kind of certified software through the Apple Store or something like that that's available for iPad, and and maybe you'll have some banks saying we'll only, you know, we'll only hold good transactions that came through our approved software supply chain from an approved end device that hasn't been jailbroke or something like that. I, I could see, I could see how that sort of thing would happen. And if, you know, if honestly, you know, if honestly, if I had enough money online that that kind of thing mattered, I wouldn't hesitate to make the investment in a piece of technology that would allow me to, you know, trade securely without being at additional risk. Mark is shifting gears again. Healthcare organizations are paying more attention to security now because they're mandated to. Where do you see them facing their biggest challenges? The biggest challenge is going to be the doctors. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, doc- the doctors are tremendously powerful from a from a political standpoint inside of a hospital because they're the, the goose that lays the golden eggs. And you talk to doctors, and they basically say, you know, information security, pshaw, I will only do it when you force me to. And, you know, that's really kind of the dialogue that's playing itself out now, is that the industry is being told you guys have to be a little bit smarter about this. But, you know, doctors um, doctors have a very interesting argument that they're always able to make when someone talks about controlling information flow. They they paint this picture um, you know, of you being wheeled in comatose and needing your medical records and all this kind of nonsense. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's completely fictional, of course, if you think about it, because most of the time when you go to the hospital, it's not an emergency and you've got plenty of time to, to have all of your ducks lined up in a row and, and so forth before you go in there. And I think most people wouldn't probably have a problem with, um, with, uh, carrying their own medical records in some sort of a, some sort of a medium, but but the other piece of it too is I think most users, uh, most medical users, rightly don't really care a whole lot. I mean, I you know I publish my medical records on the internet. I really I really don't care. There's nothing in them that would embarrass me, and even if there was, I probably wouldn't care, and I'd still publish it because you know who cares. Um, the place where it's going to get interesting um, for Medicare is you know when when the bad guys start figuring out how to monetize patient records and um, there's a little bit of that starting to go on now where insurance uh, insurance fraud is being perpetrated using stolen information from medical records and um, you know that's going to wake people up I, mean, I think that the medical industry has gotten away with being pretty shoddy about keeping its records for a long time simply because you know credit cards have been such a bigger target uh, other access rights have been a bigger target who needs medical records if you can get somebody's you know online stock trading account information so i think the bad guys have been ignoring med- medical informatics just because it's not that interesting and that could change now we've got a, a government a federal administration that is um, avowed to cybersecurity where do you see the federal government's role in ensuring that we are better off, we're more secure a year from now online than we are today? 
Well, I, you know, the, the, the obvious thing that the federal government needs to do is to, to actually practice what it preaches, which is to say, um, if somebody is, you know, if a federal agency is being expected to keep its information secure, then they need to actually do it. I think it's been, you know, pretty disappointing to see that when they put in the FISMA guidelines that a lot of organizations were just, you know, cheerfully getting B's and E's and F's and so forth for uh, quite a long time. I, I think you, you need to actually start holding management accountable for security breaches in the federal government. And it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a joke about, you know, nobody ever got fired from the government for incompetence, but, but that's kind of how it seems to be in federal IT anyway. And I think, you know, probably the best thing to do if, um, if some changes were going to be made in the right direction is to start holding people accountable for, for breaches just like they are in the, in the private sector. If you're the, if you're the CIO of a private sector company and, uh, your customer database leaks out because you ordered a hole punched in the firewall so that you, you could play some online game or get to Twitter or whatever, you're not going to be working there pretty quickly. Whereas in the federal government, you know, if you made a hole in the firewall so that you could play some play some game, um, you know, it'll get closed for a week or two weeks, and then it'll get turned back on quietly when the media spotlights moved in a different direction. I think the federal government has serious serious issues because they they've adopted the internet, but I don't think they really understand the implications of what it means to connect trusted and important civil operations to an untrusted, completely chaotic network. And, I, you know, that kind of hasn't really been internalized. And, and I, I, I think it's nice to see that the Obama administration is talking about cybersecurity. But what really concerns me is sort of the way that they're talking about it, especially with a lot of this um, yellow peril stuff that they've been talking about, about, you know, attacks from China and all this kind of thing. Um, I'm really afraid that... It may be that there's less cybersecurity going on and just more, let's, let's just hype this thing so that we can get our budgets boosted. And, and I don't think that's going to help very much. Well, do you foresee any significant talk turning into action from the administration, or is it just going to move on to other topics? Uh, I, I think it's, gonna, it's going to just continue to be an ongoing pressure. Um, you know, the, the, the administration is doing pretty much what, what, what they all do, which is saying, you know, we're taking cybersecurity seriously this time which we've been hearing a litany of that for the last 15 years out of Washington. And I think what's going on is that, you know, the hope is there's going to be a constant drumbeat of, well, we're taking it seriously now. I'm, I'm seriously serious this time. You know, if we hear enough of that, maybe we'll start taking it seriously. Um, so, you know, because the, the other side of it is, well, what else are you going to do? I mean, you, you, you can't really just go and say, well, let's stop all, let's stop all forward motion on all programs and reassess them and reassess whether there's data leakage potentials and national security threats and this, that, and the other thing. I just, I just don't see that happening. So I think, unfortunately, I think that cybersecurity and government, and probably all governments, is going to just be business as usual for a very long time. Well, Marcus, we've touched upon a lot. We've talked about malware, and we've talked about uh, fraud and, and policy. If you could give just a piece of advice to our audience today on what they can do to ensure their own security, what would you advise them? Uh, their own personal software, their, their own personal systems? Well, um, uh, my, I guess my favorite thing is that I have my 
I have two bank accounts, one in which I keep my actual money and the other which I keep a small amount of money. And I do that, I use that for all my online stuff. And my other account is all locked up so that basically I have to walk into a branch office in person and sign things in front of somebody who knows me in order to do anything with any of my real money. Not that it's a tremendously large amount of money, but it's all I've got, so I try to protect it. And, you know, honestly, I've been pretty dismayed at how casual how casual people are, you know, with their money. They're going to be the first ones crying for a government bailout when somebody tells them, oops, because of the cybersecurity problem, your your bank account just disappeared. Um, so be serious about that. That's my, my first piece of advice, I'd say. Marcus, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. Oh, thanks for having me. It's delightful. We've been talking with Marcus Ranum, CSO with Tenable Network Security. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.